used to play like a 15 second game for a car maybe you still do and the, the show's still going but it was like here's the price of a car it's not right but if you name the two numbers in it that are right we'll just give you a car but we have to do it in 30 seconds or less because the commercial breaks coming it's Wild. the wonder of television that's the, the when tv was tv did you see the latest TV show news? No. No, hardly ever. Seacrest is getting a new gig. <laughs> Come on. Well, how much more, more money does he need? He's, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't he doing Wheel of Fortune now? No. Or, I was hey, wait about a minute. to ask. Wait a minute. Other... Yeah. 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 Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. That okay. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So oh, he's man. taking over for for Pat. Yeah, oh, that's a step down. I mean, a Pat is ancient. B, it's it sort of turned out that Pat is awful, like off screen. So, <laughs> um, yeah, what? Yeah, but that's that's pretty much everyone since the beginning of of entertainment. Sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure Charlie Chaplin was awful. John Wayne was awful. Okay. That's not everyone since the beginning of entertainment, though. That's only people of a certain age and vintage. Where's Tom? Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Hey, Tom is here. Hey, ever. All right. (laughs) So here's the deal. Is he walking or is he? This is not a rebuild, episode 37. I'm not going to forget to say the name of the show this episode, but (laughs) uh, we got to jump in right away because Tom is on special assignment reporting almost live from the Sabre convention. So Tom, tell us the 15 most interesting things you learned today. Wait, wait, wait. There's only like four people listening that know what Sabre means. So explain that first. True. I mean, it's Ah. the Society for American Baseball Research, but there you go. If we have four people listening, I bet they all know what that acronym is. And it just happened to be in Chicago this year? Yeah. Those four people might be at the Sabre Conference. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully they're tuning in. Yeah, we just wrapped up. Uh, They are long days. As I mentioned, uh, tomorrow we go 8 a.m. till whenever the Sox game ends tomorrow night. So um, no breaks for lunch or dinner. Just... uh, sessions after sessions and it's exciting because they have two or three sessions going on at once so you get to make a choice you know between uh, how to research 19th century baseball and uh, someone talking about um, did Stan Hack mirror day result in opponents getting blinded by the fans uh, shining (laughs) mirrors into their eyes (laughs) there's there's a fair amount of esoteric uh, subject matter, but it's pretty interesting because the four of us are used to the Cubs convention, which is um, you have speakers who are usually at least professional speakers or taught to speak, 
And here, uh, it's kind of all over the place. So the first person I saw today at a session was Ozzy Guillen, who has a, you know, media track history. And you're kind of used to that. He was very entertaining. And then you go to the next session, and it gets very academic-y, and the guy doesn't even look up, and he's reading from a paper the whole time. And his PowerPoint consists of uh, basically what he's reading. So you're just reading on PowerPoint <laughs> that he's reading. He makes no eye contact. And then at the end, he may or may not take questions. So it's really interesting. It's it's extremely geeky. It's it's sometimes very esoteric. And then at other times is a little more slicker or more entertainment kind of oriented, uh, like we're used to it at, say, a Cubs convention. Uh, but, uh, yeah, some really uh, interesting people and some interesting sessions. Uh, the one that I just got out of, Dan Evans, who now kind of head saber, was a White Sox executive, and he and a filmmaker talked about uh, 1990, which was the last uh, season of the old Comiskey, and uh, what that meant to people and what the team meant to the community. So, uh, yeah, all in all, really uh, fascinating and it's something that I would strongly encourage attending. Yeah. Now, Tom, yeah. how do you how do you get to attend? I'm sorry? How do you get to attend? Uh, well, um, I think you have to be a Sabre member, I think. So you, you have don't. to sign up. Oh, you don't? You don't. Ah. Now, there's a okay. different rate. And I, so when Sabre was here in Minneapolis 11 years ago, 11 or 12 or 10 or 11, um, I went with one of my brothers-in-law for, I don't know, part of one day and a larger part of another. <clears throat> and the rate is higher if you're not a Sabre member, but it is, uh, it is an open event to the public in theory. They're always it's meant to be an event that sort of broaden, you know, widens the tent for them. Uh, but I think most, you know, if you surveyed the people you talk to today, Tom, or the people you talk to tomorrow, two out of three or three out of four might be Sabre members. So, yeah. I see. Okay. Uh, and that kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, a lot of Sabre members kind of have that thousand yard stare, like um, <laughs> they've, they've got all of baseball reference in their head. And if somebody talks to them, some of it will spill out, like they'll lose the 1972 season. So <laughs> oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Basically, you are starting to feel like Todd and I feel regularly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, I think any one of the four of us or maybe all four of us could present at saber because a, a any topic i mean basically there's a session today that was there was this this thing that supposedly happened in the 30s that no one's ever heard of and we researched it and it turns out it didn't happen so <laughs> basically they're saying this thing that no one's ever heard of the reason uh, you've never uh, heard of it is because it didn't happen <laughs> and the is session that the ended Stan Mirror day That's thing? the Stan Heck mirror thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really great. But I mean, again, it's about research. So it was fascinating, even though that sounds ludicrous, because the, the gentleman talked about all of the things that he did to research it. Mm -hmm. And 
that's to me that's just that's really interesting you know hitting all the newspapers going through secondhand accounts um it's you know going on 90 years ago so there's really nobody living who might have have anything to contribute so what are the challenges there and um you can really i mean if you if you go to the cyber website and you look at the sessions you can talk about anything mm. anything loosely related to baseball and uh i think any of the four of us uh could and this is in no means uh you know a, a dig but uh, again you would show up to some of these sessions and it's as though you joined in the middle of a conversation among strangers they just <laughs> launch into whatever they're talking about not really set it up and they're using names and ref referring to things that you don't really know what they're talking about and then the session kind of ends but again that's the research side of it that's the academic side of it <clears throat> and then of course there's other uh presentations that are a lot more um I guess, uh, fan friendly, you know, if you will. So some for yeah. us to think about it really, really a neat uh, experience. And it's just kind of getting kicked off. I mean, tomorrow is like, like I say, it's all day and all night. And then there's Saturday as well. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. So it's... where, go ahead, DJ. Where is it next year? <clears throat> I believe they announce at the end of this saber where it is next year. Oh, okay. I'm open yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. I, I I, I would really dig it if most or all of us could go to one of these things and Minnesota would be fun. But Maggie said it's 11 years ago, so it might be somewhere else. Yeah, it'd feel a little early for it to circle back around. But North Dakota. We're allowed to hope. Uh, it's, it is, uh, the way you described it's perfect, Tom, because that comparison that we naturally draw to like going to the Cubs convention, well, the Cubs convention is entirely put on for fans and it may, uh, you know, different events and things within it might appeal to different demographics and different levels of um, dedication of fans, but it's all fan service. Whereas Sabre was founded and you go to this kind of thing and you never really forget this. Sabre was founded to apply academic principles to the, to baseball uh, because that had never really been done in a systematic way before and there were enough people who thought that it was worth doing that it's worth applying sort of the scientific method and that's why bill james named what we now understand as analytics and the study of stats in baseball sabermetrics because right it was it was named after this you know this organization not the other way around and he did so because this organization was was trying to apply the rules of evidence and science and rationality that have been applied to every other walk of life to sport kind of for the first time. Um, and that can be, there are times that that can just be really dry if you're not going in with that as your expectation. Uh, but it's, it is cool. It, it can be really, I went to a couple of sessions when it was here, whatever, a decade ago, where I wasn't sure how interested I was going to be because the topic was not grabbing me, but there was no other session at that moment that was grabbing me anymore. And then, yeah, you just get engrossed in the process in what, you know, how dedicated these particular folks are to their subject. And it reminds you of, you know, 
one of the things that we don't spend a lot of time dwelling on that is cool about baseball, which is just how rich a, a subject it is for study. Mm. And, and with the, um, you know, the, a, a lot of the talk these days is with the Negro Leagues becoming a major league, although that didn't stop a lot of people from researching them anyway. Now there's a, I think a lot of folks are redoubling their efforts because that is, uh, you know, the, the, the goal is to have every game, everything possible um, logged, you know, so that we can go back and examine everything that happened re related to major league play, which now includes the major leagues or I'm sorry, the Negro leagues. Right. Um, a, a couple of tidbits, uh, Matt, you'll like this. Uh, you know, Dan Evans was, uh, I believe that was his name. Is that? Yeah, I think it's Dan yeah. Evans. Yeah. yeah. He, um, someone asked him, uh, there was all these uh, really strong personalities, really, you know, Guillen was a part of the uh, 90 team and Torborg was the manager. And they asked him who his favorite in his, you know, 20 year major league career, who's his favorite player. And he thought about it and he said, well, it depending on how you define that, I would have to say Sammy Sosa. <laughs> and he says, I, the guy came from absolute poverty. He says, I've been to his house, you know, where he grew up. And it's stunning how, um, you know, what, what a deprived uh, childhood uh, he and his siblings had. But he said he's just a fantastic human being. And um, uh, just his, his, his drive and where he came from and how he uh, learned to adapt to a new culture when he came here. And he <laughs> says, and there's so many, many, many players and coaches who I just love, including Nancy Faust, the organist, who he raved about. But uh, <laughs> he said, yeah, Sammy got into trouble, and he did some things he shouldn't have done. But I remember him when he came up, and I was just so, so impressed. Of course, I believe they acquired him in a trade uh, from Texas. But, yep. uh, yeah, so I, I, I thought of you, Matt, of course. And um, yeah, there's a, I, I took some notes there in my backpack. <laughs> I don't have them, but uh, yeah, I'll probably be sharing some things uh, in the in the coming days. Very cool. Can you talk yep. about your dinner real quick? Oh uh, yeah, the dinner. Um, though uh, I saw some uh, saw five gentlemen, and the the demographic is does kind of heavily skew towards older here. Uh, but uh, I sat down by myself at the Berghof because I heard a lot of these folks were going to Berghof for a, a dinner. And there's five guys there, and they're definitely uh, uh, conventioneers. And two of them were talking about their time at the Hall of Fame. And so I wanted to talk to these guys. I didn't really wasn't quite sure how to approach them. But uh, with the encouragement of you all, I did approach them. And they were real friendly. They were kind of wrapping up. But I did talk to them for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And... Uh, unfortunately and irritatingly, they kept asking me about me, which was really nice on their part, but <laughs> I don't care about me. <laughs> so uh, the, the two guys from New York were from uh, the Hall of Fame. And um, I, I can't really relate to any specific, really interesting things they said, because a lot of it was just kind of getting to know you or whatever. But they were extremely welcoming and um, they were encouraged uh, that uh, that this convention and that uh Saber in general continues to grow, and uh, they they seem to think that there was a, a bright future. It's funny, you know. One more thing, I'll probably have to go and 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 run to my train in earnest, but um, I forgot what it's going to tell you. That's bad radio. <laughs> That's bad podcasting. <laughs> I, well, yeah. they, they were happy that Saber's continuing. 
Yeah. And no doubt uh, appreciative of the fact that Tom Ben's Sabres uh, demographic toward youth, like definitely brings down the average age of attendees. Wow, seriously? I mean, how old are these guys? Not that Tom's old. I'm not saying Tom's old. But Tom and I are, are not young. So these it's, guys are what, uh, in their 80s? I mean, was I saying that as a joke? Yes. Oh. Is there a real kernel of truth in it? Yeah, there is. Okay, I mean, nice. I think they do those studies where some big marketing firm will say, the average baseball fan is 53 now. Um, and... You know, I don't I don't know whether that always holds or how they're defining fan and stuff. Uh, but at Sabre, the average baseball fan is or the average Sabre attendee is even older than 53. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And, what and does that mean for baseball for us, I mean, especially for you guys? Because it's probably going to hold on in my lifetime. But will it hold on through yours? I mean, Imagine, remember how I just sort of described what Sabre is and is trying to do. Yeah. Imagine if there were, there was a big conference of academia where there was also no real uh, money or career track or tenure at stake. You, you would attract a whole lot of old people and hardly anyone else, you know? Well, and I'm not so much worried about Sabre as I am about baseball. Is baseball going to make it? I mean, I think that's part of why they made the rule changes this year. But yeah. it's they're making progress on that front. I can I don't say really that set a lot of store by those marketing studies that I just referenced. It's just a touch. Point. We, Margie and I, went to uh, Cubs Brewers on on the fourth. Uh, Cubs win seven six. It's an mm-hmm. exciting game. Great game. Um. I had purchased stupid seats uh, in, that basically, you know, in the one of the few really hot sun spots in uh, Miller Park, whatever it's called nowadays. Um, so we could move around a lot because we you could we could find a seat just about anywhere. We couldn't go down, you know, uh, behind the dugout, but uh, we just wandered around and found shady spots all day long because uh, it was, you know, for a a team fighting for first place against their arch rival. The place was not packed. Yeah. Um, a, a couple of things about that. One, in-person attendance isn't as much the emphasis anymore, which I, I do think is terrible for the sport. Terrible mm. for the fan experience of sport. Yeah, anyway. right. Um, and that's... But two... Because that's not their primary or or at least as much their primary revenue source as it used to be, owners don't really try to fill up their stadia, even on special occasion days. They don't mind uh, having 5,000 empty seats uh, because they would rather increase the prices of each ticket that they do sell They're probably going to make more money doing it that way, charging the most that the market will bear, even if it means coming in under capacity, as opposed to uh, having a lot of cheap and family friendly tickets and maybe a lot of them end up on the secondary market or something. Uh, That is really crummy. And that part I do hate. 
uh, although not from a, I worry about the future of the sports standpoint, just from a, the greedy owners really are prioritizing all the wrong things and making sports less fun uh, standpoint. But yeah, I, I notice it too. I mean, attendance is back up to basically 2019 levels, which is great. That's uh, good. Yeah, I I think there were plenty of people who wondered if that would ever happen again after the pandemic hit and then the lockout and, you know, whatever. But uh, I don't know that it'll rise much from here unless and until some inflection point comes that forces owners to think again about prioritizing bringing people out to the park for a immersive live experience as opposed to, you know, they make most of their money via broadcast rights and streaming and real estate and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, I can say that one thing that is encouraging to me for the future of baseball is the uh, enthusiasm and, and excitement of your sons. Um, they seem to be very into baseball right now. And that to me, that's, um, it was probably the grandfather part of me, but it's, uh, it's very heartwarming uh, and encouraging that, and not just them. I mean, a lot of their teammates, uh, they just seem to be excited to get out there and play, which is, you know, the way it used to be and the way it should be. Yeah. I think there's a lower percentage of kids interested in any given activity than there were a generation ago, because there are more activities available to them. More alternatives means less clustering. It's the same reason why no one's ever going to see no Buddy's ever going to watch a TV show. You know, as many people will never cluster to one show as to the MASH finale. You know, same finale. Right. Yep. But yeah, this summer watching both of my boys play baseball and not only, you know, the leagues are probably smaller than they would have been a decade ago, but the kids playing were not only enthusiastic about what they were doing, but also consciously emulating big leaguers and chatting up chatting about who was hot and who was uh, yeah. doing cool things and uh the hot shot on sorkin's team had a fernando tatis jr branded bat that everybody oohed and odd over you know those that kind of stuff is still there it's still yeah. in the the culture for kids and i think not only is it there, but I think it's rebounded from maybe where it was five years ago. So I agree. It's that part was cool. Although it's all anecdotal for us, it was still fun to watch. And I think augurs well. So we lost Tom listening. So you got to get figured that out by now, but you got to get the uh, Ellie De La Cruz bat then. (laughs) I'm sure he's, He's next. I haven't uh, let the boys cotton on to all the wild stuff he's doing too much just yet because I can't bear to get them too excited about a divisional rival, especially one who looks like he's going to run away with the division title this year at this point. Yeah. Yeah, but he's going to Felix PA. I mean, no, he's not. I hey. I get what you mean, but Felix PA never had power anything like this. Uh and the approach is just more 
refined. So, yeah, I don't know. It's that's the kind of player that's missing from the Cubs. And boy, it's just so glaring. Uh, and uh, this we're coming off. We're recording on Thursday night. Listeners, as you'll probably have figured out uh, it is as we speak. Todd Trueblood's birthday. We won't know what age, just that it doesn't yet start with six. Um, DJ guessed correctly, 49. <laughs> yeah. He guessed one of the numbers correctly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we're recording coming right off of the split in Milwaukee that the Cubs had. And one of those series that is perfectly tuned for both teams to feel like, you know, both teams' fan bases feel like their team should have swept it, I'm sure. Um, or not even like should have, but could have and just, you know, at least win three out of the four. A lot of plays to sigh over, a lot of performances that are just frustrating at this point. Um, but the Cubs did escape with that split. Now, I if you go win two out of three at Yankee Stadium, you can go into the All-Star break feeling like you still have a chance to be buyers. That said, I felt coming into this week like they really needed to go five and two. Um, and like that needed to include winning two out of three from the Brewers. At this point, the Cubs are six and a half games, even out of the last wild card spot, eight games behind the Reds, six behind the Brewers. Only tied, you know, they're tied with the Pirates and the Mets, who everyone's already talking about as sellers. Uh it's not, it's not great. And it's just not, I, you can see the talent, but you don't get to just, you know, we don't get to watch games every day and go, oh, they're just missing. Everybody's just misfiring a little bit. But thank goodness we get to cash in this excess talent for four extra wins at the end of the year. That's not how it works. You know, they'd, it's just, it's just frustrating because that talent's going to waste. And I don't know, the clock is really ticking now. Yankee Stadium's a tough place to win a series. I almost feel like they should aim to sweep a series, except they just used their best two pitchers the last two days and only split those two games against the Brewers. So, Yeah, neither one of them pitched really well. No, it was discouraging, to say the least. So I said this. I said this last week, and DJ started out saying, "No, no, 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 no." But is it time to be okay with being a seller? Because think, think of. I mean, no, 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 no. So we have people on this team that we could. They may not have a lot of value. So when I talk about selling off and as opposed to being buy, buyers, I don't want to go out, like I said in the past, I don't want to go out and trade PCA for, you know, a, uh, a, a fair left fielder or first baseman or whatever it is. If we're going to trade some, something of some value. We've got to come back with, like Matt said, Pete Alonzo or somebody that's going to make an impact, not only this year, but in next or in the future. Uh, so if we can be those buyers, great. But if we can't or shouldn't, uh, uh, Bellinger, uh, uh, Old Horse, whatever it is, uh, Mancini. <laughs> I mean, some of these names, they're not going to bring a uh, lot of capital, but they'll bring some depth. 
uh, that we could use in, in the system. Yeah. Well, I think always... the question, they have to pick a direction. Right. Last year, even though they had their direction picked for them far in advance of the deadline, they ended up not standing pat, but they held on to Contreras. They held on to Hap. Mm -hmm. Did that really get them, keep them moving the way they needed to? I think in hindsight, we can definitely argue it did not. So Yeah, at this point, I, I would have traded, uh, looking back, trade Contreras and get what you can get because all these... I mean, he went off and he got his money, and he's stinking on ice and being a jerk about it too. So, be well, gone, dude. There's, there's an element they can't control there too. I don't, I don't want to make you guys uh, feel even stronger pangs of regret, but the deal that the Cubs had put together with the Astros for Contreras would have brought them Jose Urquidy, a controllable starting pitcher. He's no great shakes, but like, he's got upside. He's had good seasons in the recent past, and there was definitely something to work with. I think if that trade had worked out, it got stomped out by Astros' ownership, basically. Hmm. Um, if that trade had gone through, I think there's a decent chance they don't sign Jamison Tyone this winter uh, because their rotation would have been that. <laughs> Right? Like, it's... But that really underscores how, okay, they are going to have to pick a direction. They have to do that. And that's what's worrying me is that they're starting to run out of time where it's plausible to say maybe that direction can still be buying. The direction can't be standing pat or sort of, you know, half measures. They're, well, if no, they're not no. buying, I mean... they do have to sell. And we're getting close to the point where you just do have to say, okay, it's going to be sell. And that would suck. That would be a, a failure of a season. Now, remember what uh, Milwaukee Bucks guy said. Is it a failure? Really? I mean, it's, <laughs> can't win every game every time, every Listen, season. We are we are a large, uh, a big market team. Yeah. Even when we are sellers, we should still be buyers. Always. I, I won't, like, yes, if we are giving up on winning this year, we should get rid of some of those Bellinger, Strowmans, guys that are going to be gone. But we should also be still trying to acquire guys that other teams are getting rid of that have years of ownership still, you know. We, we have that capital. We have that money. We should still be trying to get those guys. I'm with you. Before the Cubs finally won the World Series, I would go on these – crazed uh lunatic rants uh that would have matt wondering about my sanity uh i wasn't and, wondering you know, really <laughs> about just you know they, they they need to do whatever it takes to end this drought you know i would just go off about you know trade all of the tennessee team for uh roger clemens and make him a, a mid <laughs> mid-level re reliever uh, whatever it takes, get because they have they have the money, they had the uh, the goodwill, they had everything they needed, and they still do. Um, Except for Roger Clemens in the bullpen. Well, yeah, but it's because he's like fifty five years old now. But um, you know, do do whatever it takes because you can. I mean, obviously the Yankees do that, the 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 Dodgers do that, um, 
why do the Cubs not do that? They're the the biggest dog in the third largest market. Yep. And they should be always looking to acquire when when they think they can. Yeah. <laughs> All fair. And uh I don't know to what extent players of that kind of caliber, especially controllable players, are gonna be available at this particular deadline. Just because most of the league is buyers. Um and those who aren't are so moribund that you just don't, you know, there's not a lot to get. Like at this point, the A's and the Nationals uh, have offloaded all the things that once made them decent teams. They're they're really bad, just as they were really bad last year. But last year they still had some guys left who didn't really fit on such a bad team and yeah trade them away right uh that's not the case at this point like the nationals don't have any more juan sotos they're all out they're all out of really anything useful the a's are too the royals have nothing anybody wants except i mean if they have anything that anybody wants they want to hold on to it but i i think you could argue they just plain don't even have it they're pretty bad get really creative where what you're doing is filling a fringe contender, not a contender who's, you know, planning on the playoffs this year, but someone who's also sort of on that buy sell fringe, you're going to fill their need in the short term with a player who's also under control beyond this year. And in return, they're going to give you someone who doesn't have a big role on their current team, but fits your need better and is under control for a longer period. It's going exactly. to look something like like trading. Let's pretend Mark Leiter Jr. wasn't coming apart at the seams right now. It'd be like trading Mark Leiter Jr. for this year's version of a Hayden Wesneski kind of thing. Um. And that is really difficult. I mean, the Scott Efros for Hayden Wesneski trade is proof that Jed Hoyer is, you know, fundamentally capable of it, but it's hard. And I think it's it's a lot harder this year even than it was last year based on everything we can guess about what the trade market's going to look like. So, so before I talk about Judd um, for our <laughs> listeners, uh, Moribund is the the definition of that is mean of a person <laughs> at the point of death or of a thing at its terminal decline lacking vitality or vigor so just a few minutes ago matt used moribund uh and that means at the point of death yeah so uh, in terminal decline is as uh concise a definition of the oakland athletics right now as one could possibly lay out. So uh, I, I totally it. agree. I yeah. totally agree. I'm just because there's there's gonna be there are a few uh, of our listeners. I don't know how many listeners we have anymore. Uh, probably, I don't know. Uh, even the ones that I used to know about, I haven't heard from in a while. So I think maybe they're, uh, you know, I don't know. Anyway, but um, there's listeners out there that are like me that who had to look that one up. I, I mean, I kind of knew what it meant, but I needed to clarify. So anyway. Um, my concern with people like Judd is that they're not Theo. Um, there doesn't seem to be people out there that 
have enough, uh, at least in, in the Cubs. And I don't think Judd is, um, I don't think he's that great. Um, they don't seem to have a vision for the team. They just seem to maybe uh, be too conservative and too reactionary uh, and, and maybe not reactionary enough on, on the other side of things uh, and just kind of keep going. Let's field a team team that maybe kind of almost competes and keep some uh, revenue going and keep uh, the Ricketts folks happy instead of somebody that says, Jesus, we need to win. I'm tired of this crap. Let's win. It does kind of seem like he wakes up and he's like, ah, ah, no, we're still not signing Wilson today. And then a couple days later, he's like, ah, I guess we can sign Hap to an extension. And then weeks go by, months go by. Like, let's spend a bunch of money on Swanson. And then weeks go by and weeks go by. And then they're like, ah, let's spend too much money on just a fringe starter. They Like, he spends money and he makes moves, but none of them are risky. None of them, some of them are exciting. Not many of them. Uh, And he just kind of, like you said, does enough, Todd, to be relevant. But it's like, come on, man, like, start trying, like, please start trying, like, think about trying to get better every single day, rather than every third or fourth month. Right. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And and looking back in my life to, uh, you know, the 70s, when the Cubs were pretty much in the cellar most of the time, um, it's hard to, to not see this as better but it's still not good enough. It, it just, like like we said before, with the market and uh, the revenue that's available to the Cubs, for them to not field a winner, you know, almost every year is, is, uh, is a, that's, that's a problem. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's well put by both of you. And I think those ideas fit very nicely together. That's a good point. For us to take our break uh we'll be back shortly to talk a little bit more cubs so the first half is moribund we will be back temporally with less moribund action <laughs> <laughs> We're, we are back. All four of us are actually on this call, <laughs> just so you know, listener, because I know you can feel it. There's a vibe. You know, you can sense Tom's presence. It's a looming presence. But he is on the metro train home to the south suburbs. And so he won't be speaking to us out of deference to his fellow passengers on the metro. But this is a live show for Tom now. Um, and I suppose or anyone else that he wants to make it available to by turning on his speakerphone or something. But we'll we'll let him make those choices for himself. So speaking of vibe, because th- we get a vibe going with this one. This is episode 37, which I think we would all agree and, and refer to this as the Ed Lynch episode. Um, because he wore number 37 back in 86, 87. Um, some of us might think of it as the Brant Brown episode. Um, but definitely not uh, Ronnie Santo. I think he almost 
keeled over right there when Brown dropped that ball. Yeah. Uh, that was terrible. Um, 37 seems to be the fairly popular number of pitchers. Uh, Angel Guzman wore it for five years. Remlinger wore it for uh, three or so. Um, Lynch was a pitcher uh, way back when Ken Kravick uh, wore it. Uh, further back, even huh. Dick Ellsworth wore it for boy, it was six, seven, eight years, maybe somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, and then a little more recently, um, I think this name came up recently, and I, I think it. Were you guys talking about um, people who played on the Twins? Brewers and Cubs when and this one of the shows that I was not available, um, and, and didn't Dan Plezak play for all three of those? Anyway, he wore number thirty-seven. Definitely um, the Cubs and Brewers. I don't know that he was ever a twin, but yeah, he thought it's a it's a harder game than you think. Yeah, everybody's favorite left fielder slash pitcher Travis Wood wore it for uh, four years. Love Travis Wood. Love that guy. Yeah. And then uh, the wild-haired center fielder, whose name I can never pronounce. Uh, Hermosillo? Yeah. He Brett wore Jackson? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hermosillo, who <laughs> was not as good as Brett Jackson, but actually played. Tony Campana. <laughs> no. So there you go. That's number 37. I I am picturing Tony Campana with Michael Hermosillo's hair now, though, and it is glorious. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Imagine those braids flying at the speed that Tony Campana would run. Mm. Um, yeah, 37 is a real have a You'd have a, uh, uh, an Ali De La Cruz, basically. Kind of, yeah. Uh, 37 is a very good lefty relievers number. It is, yeah. Did either... Scott Downs or Scott Chasen wear it at some point? Actually, both. both. Uh, Downs wore Come it in 2000. Chasen wore it 2001 and 2002. Yeah. Remlinger, I believe, was left-hander. Um, yes, he was. 2003, 4, and 5. Yeah. Guzman was a right-hander, though. Right. The Travis was a left-hander. Um, let's see. Justin Wilson. Justin Wilson. Also uh, a left-hander. Yeah, he was last year. Holy yep. crap. So, yeah. Brant Brown was even left-handed, although he was a disappointing left fielder. It's it's good because it's a prime number, uh, and it's obviously up in the 30s where hitters don't tend to go with their numbers. So it it's very good for a lefty because, you know, lefties are weird. Prime numbers fit them nicely. Uh, I've always I've always thought, 37 lefty reliever. Uh, because of you out there, Guzman didn't really work out. Poor guy. For those of you out there, Matt is a lefty. So he can say that lefties are weird because, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't Mike Adams a lefty? No. No, Mike Adams was a righty. The, the guy from uh, the Rangers. Right. Yeah. At least I'm pretty sure he was a righty. Um, I don't know. There's probably more we could talk about from that series in Milwaukee. There was so much frustration and yet also elation. Some really yeah. exciting moments. Um, even if some of them, them were like today was the perfect example. They had the 
comeback when I had basically gave up when Christian Yelich wrote a go-ahead three-run homer out of the park because mm. it just didn't feel like the offense was going to do anything. And then they battled back, and Jan Gomes tied the game. And then to give it away again, uh, felt like it was sort of inevitable. The Cubs didn't really have their A bullpen, and even their A bullpen has not been pitching at its best lately. So deserved loss, but just a, still an aggravating one because it felt like you had snatched victory away or, or the chance at victory. And but even was... then, you have an opportunity, and then you have Talkman, Nico, and Hap just do absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I, that hurt. I probably shouldn't, but I'm inclined to give Talkman a pass because our expectations of him are lower. And mm-hmm. also, he just came up big yesterday. But I, we do have to talk a little bit about it's a long time now that Ian Happ is just not producing. He's drawn walks, but that is all he can seem to do at the plate right now. His power is gone. He's not hitting for any average either. It's not like he's trading power for singles. His strikeout rate's back up in the high 20s, the way it was before last year when he sort of seemed to sand off the rough edges of his game. It's not looking good. And Nico is not in any better shape. With him, I'm more encouraged just because it looks like he's making some adjustments right now, trying to more consistently access power, uh, draw a few more walks, sort of finish off those walks once he gets ahead in the count. But I just looked it up. Since he came back from the injured list in like mid-May, Nico is hitting under 260 with about a 305 on base percentage little bit better power still stealing bases still playing good second base defense but suddenly instead of that dynamic top of the order guy you've got like i i don't mean this to insult either player but you basically have darwin barney for the last yeah yeah well basically only produced in london in the last three or four weeks (laughs) right yeah i don't know what it is with the inhab he really, because uh, remember there was that streak of a few years where he would absolutely destroy the ball in Arizona in spring training, and then the season would start and he'd struggle badly. He just needs to be hitting in very exotic environs, apparently, mm-hmm. if he's going to uh, be his full-fledged self. I, yeah, he's still playing late to schedule the second half of the series in Dusseldorf or something, though, so... He's going to have to figure it out. Although if playing. they do, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and I know Tom is. <laughs> He's still playing decent left field. We were there for those uh, uh, upfield assists. Um, yeah. Those were yeah, beautiful. That, that has been good and important because early in the year, the defense also sort of collapsed on him. Yeah. Uh, but at least early on, he was raking. Uh now it's more of this sort of averaging out. The defense has been a lot better lately. I think the range is still a little less impressive than last year, but it's rounded into form. Yeah, back-to-back, really good throws. Not Ian Happ doesn't have like a killer, here's a 98-mile-an-hour rocket, right? 
but two good one hop throws that were right on the money. Right on the spot. Yep. Didn't rush it. So and, his his and both him and Eco, their their inadequacies currently in at the uh, at the plate seem to be that that's kind of magnified by the fact that you don't have anybody that's filling, you know, you, that, that's you know, taking up the, the slack. We don't have, we've got Mancini and, and or Jared Young at first base, which, okay, great. Either one would, or both would be good backups, but they're not every day go out there and really knock the crap out of the ball. And same thing with third base. Uh, We've got a 145-pound power hitter uh, playing third base, um, which, you know, great. He's, he's got some power, and but he doesn't have enough uh, oomph, at least currently. He doesn't have enough oomph to, to be somebody that's carrying a team. Um, and at 145 pounds, what could he really carry? Um, so those are, those are holes, and will they get filled? So it keeps we keep coming back around to – what is Judd going to do? Um, and if nothing else, we need to get in touch with him and say, hey, we've got a podcast out here, and you're not giving us anything to talk about, so get <laughs> off your butt. Yeah. it's uh, It really is magnified, like you said, because of the lack of a, not one big power hitter wouldn't solve the problem. We know that for sure because at – two separate stretches the Cubs had Patrick Wisdom on a power binge and then the 145 pound if he's still even within 40 pounds of that Christopher Morrell uh on a power binge of his own but only one yeah, of, but that's like saying have funny. two or three guys in the lineup who are legit power threats every yeah, year yeah and they do exactly. not have that nope yeah, and I have to be relatively disappointed in DJ because he told us he promised us that Nico was going to hit forty home runs. Um, still time. Yeah, I don't think there is. Um, There's still time. And I have personally have, am disappointed in Suzuki because although he's been hitting pretty well uh, lately, at least from my perspective, which is only when I glance at how he did. Um, it, it's he's he's again not the guy that's carrying the team. He might be able to carry it better than the 145 pounder, but uh, he's not carrying it. Yeah, he's got about as much power this year as the other Suzuki who dropped his last name. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Cody Bellinger hit a homer today, but it was his first one literally since April. So that's oh yikes, no. Uh, it really is what struck me. I think it was just today or at least over the last couple of days. It finally sort of settled on me. What's what's so grating or or painful about watching Saya, which is he never looks overmatched. Christopher Morell has entire at bats where he is waving at the ball and he misses it by two feet. And you're like, OK, no chance. I could turn it off right now. Saya never looks overmatched, but he never looks that dangerous either. Lately, it does seem like they've got him gearing up and taking a few more really aggressive swings, but it just doesn't seem to be coming naturally to him, and he's not yet, at least, squaring those up and, and actually driving it out into fair territory with all the power that he's capable of. So 
again, never overmatched, always in the at-bat, had three hits yesterday, um, and he'll make solid contact now and then, but never dangerous either. That's kind of how the whole lineup feels at this point. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I just don't know how to solve it because you're locked into a lot of these guys. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to, maybe it's firing the hitting coach. I don't know. I don't want to impugn the job that any particular coach is doing because I don't have enough information to do so. But one way or another, either they misevaluated some of these guys and are locked into too much money in right field and left field for guys who aren't going to produce at the level that you need corner outfielders getting paid $20 million a year to produce, or you're not getting through and helping them succeed to the level of the true level of their talent. One of those things is true. If it's the first one, you're going to have to convince the Ricketts to swallow the bullet and spend a whole bunch more money, which isn't easy and isn't great. If it's the second one, that's almost the better news, but then you got to get, you got to get moving. You got to get new voices in the room. You got to get new ideas going. You got to fix it because these guys just are not doing what you paid for them to do and are now committed to pay for them to do through at least 2026. Yeah. And uh, so we, we talk about occasionally uh, who, you know, what young stud is going to come up from triple uh, a or double a or wherever a um, and help. And are they there? Well, uh, I don't know that they're there. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing is like Christopher Morrell came up from Iowa where he'd been killing the ball and he mm-hmm. killed the ball. He had like nine homers in two weeks. Right. Yep. And since then, it's not like he's gone completely dormant, but it hasn't been the same level at all. Uh, Matt Mervis was consistently just, killing the ball in AAA, had control of the strike zone, all of it, came up to the majors and didn't bring that with him. Uh, Jared yeah. Young came up a week and a half ago. He'd been killing the ball in AAA, and right out of the bat, he's pulling it in the air. He's hitting a home run, a couple of triples in his first series. Hey, yep. maybe we found something here. That's already gone out. Nope. So what really worries me is, do you have the right people teaching these guys what to do all the way up the ladder and then somehow they get to the big league roster and you're failing them or is that just your training guys to succeed in the minors all the way up through the minors instead of giving them the tools they're going to need to make the most difficult leap in professional sports from AAA to the majors and the level of pitching they're going to see which is happening yeah I, I, since I was a kid I've always thought you know, everybody's like, oh, we'll bring this, this guy's killing AAA. Let's bring him up and let him kill up here. Well, I was like, well, isn't he facing AAA pitching down there? It's not like he's going against Sandy Koufax. And you guys are like, well, he's kicking the crap out of Sandy Koufax. Let's bring him up. He's kicking the crap out of Bruce Smith. Yeah. Except for when Sandy Koufax was in AAA. Yeah, well, then, but Sandy Koufax was kicking, kicking the crap out of everybody else. So, <laughs> Actually, again... Tom is on the call. Tom, we need you to find somebody to talk to tomorrow who can tell you everything about Sandy Koufax's stay in AAA and uh, whether or not any of that applies here. So and I'm sure Bruce it won't be Smith. that difficult, actually. Can, can we find out anything about Bruce Smith? That'd be great. 
Can we talk about one exciting thing that to come up from AAA? Lay it on us. Yes. Because Todd was at the game and he saw this guy pitch two innings and win the game. Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong. I, I know he only threw 14 pitches over two innings, which is wild. Uh, but I think he faced less than six batters. He right? faced four batters. Yeah. Four batters, two full innings pitched. That is an awesome part of this whole, you know, runner on second thing. I mean, that that, that have happened that often, like four batters in two innings getting six outs. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's prior awesome. to he... the uh, automatic runner rule, it was almost impossible. It would have required a inheriting multiple runners on base and getting like a triple play. So, uh, yeah, Daniel Palencia, you guys remember one of my bold predictions was, you know, this guy's got a chance to be the closer by the end of the year. And yep. I'm happy that Aberdalzali has sort of taken to that job and they may not need Palencia to do exactly that. But I do think he's he's legit. He's this the goods. They have more work to do with him. Um, but he showed good stuff on Tuesday, good stuff today. Even though he got himself into trouble, he worked out of it. Uh, I love that. And I love I I love the prospect of the bullpen that they could put together over the second half. It's just, you know, a bullpen can't score runs for you. So I want him to have, have Travis Wood. Dang it. Unless you have Travis Wood. Yeah, well, true, true. Slap number 37 on Daniel Palencia's back. Have him throw <laughs> left-handed and let's see what kind of hitter he becomes. I love that he's named after a, a city in Spain. So, isn't that Valencia? No, it's Palencia. Okay, all right, just checking. Just... There might be a Valencia too, but th- this one is you know. Todd's word of today is Palencia. Palencia, <laughs> yes. Okay, <laughs> we're all just gonna have a word of the day from now. On. Forget the trees thing, random cub. Everybody have a word of the day ready. We're uh, if you ever wanted. A one of those page a day calendars in podcast form, only it only comes out once a week. That is the and, necessary service we provide. Sometimes they're German, sometimes they're Spanish. <laughs> hey, I, I've got uh, uh, what do we, what do you call this Latin? So that's pretty good. Um, but it, our uh, word of the day calendar won't be nis- nearly as informative or interesting. At least, and maybe to us it will be. So that's good. And what, you know, we're the only ones that we're trying to impress. I, I think there's a chance we're about half our audience. So, you know. Now, Matt, <laughs> is there is there a word that means uh, not informative or interesting? I'm sure there is. But guys, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't Boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Anywho. Uh, that is actually a good opportunity for us to pivot to our final segments here. I didn't prepare a random cub thing this week just because Uh-oh. it's been a busy week. And uh, it's, you know, I knew we'd have a lot of actual baseball to talk, including Tom's report from Sabre. I don't think uh, you could top last week anyway. That was a pretty good one. 
Yeah. So, and I want to do more like that, but I don't want to force them either. So we'll. Yeah. Uh, Tom wants Dad, Shrubmore. You, you want what? Tom wants Mount Shrubmore. Now's as good of time as any. It's not. I'm not ready for it. It's okay. only good if I'm ready for it. Okay. I keep I keep uh, uh, chastising myself for not getting ready for it. Uh, but then I think, well, I'm not getting paid for this. So <laughs> that is that is a deciding factor, isn't it? Yeah. Now, hang on uh, a minute. But is I do have a tree. You're not getting paid for this because you haven't gotten together Mount Shrubmore yet. Well, that's that what's going to pull in the big advertising dollars. Uh, if it is, <laughs> hey, at Scott's, uh, we need to get in touch with the big, you know, the big uh, fertilizer companies, Scott's and maybe uh, Poofleen, um, some places like that that could start to uh, I don't sponsor know, us. I don't know what you know or how you feel about them, but the big lawn care at podcast advertiser right now is Sunday. Sunday. So Sunday. I don't think I know Sunday. What do they what do they do? I have to look that up now. It's a website. Yeah, you can find it. It's uh I don't know. They like use Google Maps to estimate your soil look, I'm not doing a free advertisement. Sunday. Yeah, no Come sponsor the tree of the week or I'm not gonna tell anybody over the air what you do. Yeah. People have to figure it out for themselves. Even my landscape executive father. So, uh, do you okay, so I do have us? I do have a tree. Yes, and as I've said way too often, and people uh, often say, "Boy, you say the same thing over and over and over again." Um, but tough crap. Um, I try to focus on uh, recommendations and plants that I plant that are not uh, things that you will see. Um, Back when I was young, we planted, I planted personally, so many, uh, uh, what the heck is it? Red sunset maple, um, which is now a tree that is just not used anymore because it's got all kinds of issues. So many ash trees, which most of the ash trees are just gone because of emerald ash borer. Uh, so don't plant that stuff. You don't need that stuff. Go out and find something that's different. And this one is different. It's called white fringe tree, uh, Chiononanthus virginicus. That's my Latin for the day, kids. Um, it's it's native to the United States. Uh, it's 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 interesting in that it's it's not a shade tree. It's a, a smaller ornamental. It's only you're gonna get between 15 and 20 feet tall. Uh, it's got kind of a a large uh, pointed oval. I would refer to it as kind of a glossy green leaf. Uh, it's got a, a flower uh, in the late spring and summer. Uh, it's got a it's white and fringy looking. It's it's uh, kind of looks like fringe. It looks uh, kind of um, fringy. Um, so it's it's unique. Uh, it also has a fruit to it that is not got a lot of interest to it other than anything that's got anything that's different is unique and and interesting to me. So it's got a little bit of a fruit. Uh, it's just something you are, I swear. It, and this one in particular, I think last week I said that if you planted, uh, the tree I was talking about last week, you wouldn't see it within 20 blocks. If you plant a fringe tree, you're not, it, it might be the only one in town. Depends on your town. Uh, if it, your town is Chicago, there's going to be a couple more, but if your town is Chillicothe, Illinois, I'm not even sure there's one in that town. Somebody in Chillicothe, go looking for a fringe tree and tell me if it's there. Uh, next time I'm there, I'll see if I can find one. 
um, they're just, it's not going to be around. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a unique tree and, uh, it's hardy, it's attractive and go out and buy it. There you go. Fringe recommendations. That's the new podcast <laughs> title. <laughs> cool. Nothing mainstream here. Just fringe. <laughs> yep. Right on the edge. Deej, do you have any, uh, tax or financial or any kinds of tips of the week for us? I do. I will talk about charitable contributions. And many of you may know that standard deduction uh, went higher. The state and local tax and property tax limit is capped at 10000 a year, uh, which makes it harder to itemize. And with the standard deduction being higher, uh, you're going to most often going to want to take the standard deduction. So a lot of times charitable contributions don't come into play at all. They might benefit you at the state level, but you might get no benefit uh, federally for your tax situation. What you can do is, is two different things. You could bunch in one year, meaning if you know you're going to donate five grand each year for the next four years, you could donate 20 one year and then none the next three. And then you can benefit that one year rather than never benefiting. Uh, or you could set up what is called a donor advised fund and you can contribute uh, 20 into that fund in the first year, get that deduction. But with the donor advised fund, you can then decide when that money goes out to the charities. So you could essentially send out 5,000 each year to the charity through your donor advised fund, even though you get the deduction for when you put the money into the fund. So two different options to be charitable, but also get the benefit on your taxes. If you are seeing that you're taking the standard uh, and you think, well, why should I donate to my church or uh, some local nonprofit, there are ways that you can get that tax benefit if you only want to be, not only, if you want to be charitable, but also get the benefit. Yeah. Nice. Well, very nice. And Tom texted to us, give till it hurts. So get out there and give till it hurts. <laughs> yeah. That's that's called sacrifice bunching. And we actually don't oh. believe in that anymore. Uh, oh. In the 80s, it was a thing. but. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so time also in. gave us uh, a, a stat of the podcast should i share that yes yeah. okay so tom who, who can hear us but can't speak uh he can speak he's just uh he's on a train that he doesn't want to like scare the other people um so but he tells us that lou gehrig's first career stolen base was a steal of home Your first career stolen base in the major leagues is a steal of home that's pretty cool uh, in fact, 13% of his career stolen bases were of home plate. Uh, but then finally, he stole home and homered in the same game six times in his career. So apparently, stealing home was a much bigger deal back in the day than it is now, obviously, because uh, I haven't seen one. Well, we've seen him this year, but you know, yeah. it's not like you see him uh, every week. No, that's and it definitely was more common way back when. Um, now I think I, I recognize those facts and that's very cool. I think it would have been a little funny if you had intentionally, uh, misquoted the stat in some 
you know, subtle but very painful way just because Tom is listening and can do nothing about it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, shoot, you're, that would have been you're good. a good friend for eschewing that opportunity. Yeah, Tom's uh, good people. I hate to see him in pain. Folks, we are counting down. Uh, we are under two weeks until the four of us will convene in Chicago and about two weeks out from you probably getting a live version of this podcast. Uh, in the meantime, you can hit us up with questions still on Twitter. I haven't set up yet a threads or a blue sky or whatever else you're, you may have migrated to, but, uh, we are still on Twitter at not a rebuild. You can find the show on Apple podcasts and on Spotify, uh, subscribe there, rate and review the show. And yeah, pretty soon we're going to be doing a live version of the show. No idea what form that'll take. We might be a little more inebriated than usual. So that could be fun. I don't even know how it works. Well, look, we're be. going, we're going to be at Tom's house. Listeners. Although I am the unofficial audio engineer of this podcast. I record it. I post it. Tom is the audiophile and the, you know, sound genius in this group. So he mentioned the live show. I'm guessing he's going to have a just fine setup for us. We probably will sound better than ever. Uh, but no we'll pressure, see how Tommy. that all turns out. It may turn out that we don't give you a podcast that week, but trust that whatever content we do provide on the back of that uh, meetup in Chicago will be very rich content for you. And if you're going to be in Chicago uh, in the middle of the week of July 17th, uh, you can feel free to reach out to us via the podcast handle or whatever means, because we'll all be there too. And maybe we can meet up in real life. Uh, Until then, this has been episode 37. The, what did we say? To me, it's the Scott Downs episode, but you said, oh, Ed Lynch. Ed Lynch episode. Ed Lynch. Yeah. I know Ed Lynch the GM. I'm not comfortable with that at all. It's too late. This has been the Ed Lynch episode of This Is Not a Rebuild. Everyone take care. And hopefully when we speak again, the Cubs have charged into the all-star break looking good.